0: And today we are going to talk about a really interesting group of people that we don't talk about very much. And the group of people we're going to talk about this morning are called antichrists. Have you heard that term before, antichrists? You probably have if you've been in and around church for any length of time. We're going to talk about who they are, what they do, and also what the difference is between us and them. And I know there are a lot of people who say, you know, you shouldn't, you should try to avoid using us versus them language when you're in church, but that's the language that we see in the passage we're going to look at this morning. And if you're not a Christian yet, you know, maybe you're a person who is, you're, you're kind of asking questions, you aren't sure whether a relationship with Jesus is something that you're ready for or something that you even want. And if, the, if that's you, I just want to say I'm, I'm really glad you're here today. And I'd invite you to listen in uh, because this is, a, this is a passage that is really addressed to Christians. And what this passage does is it, it kind of warns Christians to be careful about who we listen to. Because in, honestly, Christians, people who are followers of Jesus, we oftentimes struggle to know who, who we should listen to in this world. There's all kinds of voices vying for our attention. And it's hard for us to know sometimes who to listen to. I had a couple friends who went went on a journey with me towards Jesus. That's how I would describe it. They, they went on a journey with me towards Jesus. And they sort of entered this journey with me at different times in my life. They both expressed love for Jesus. They both immersed themselves in the Bible. They were, they were able to teach and influence others. They both had a a very strong influence in my life they both encouraged me to follow jesus with all my heart they were both they were both further along in the journey than i was when i met them they were both gifted individuals one of them preached at the church that i went to and and i grew in my friendship with both of these both of these young men and then something happened that i that i couldn't have i couldn't never have predicted both of these guys, and this was at different times, you know, but they both started listening to other voices. They both started listening to, to people who were questioning whether or not you can really know God. And so they started to question whether or not you can really know God. They decided that they knew better. I guess is how I would say it. They got educated. They decided that it was unreasonable to believe that the Bible is without error in the original writing. That was the first thing, which I can live with, by the way. I can live with that. I mean, I might not agree with it, but I can live with it. And then they decided that the Bible is not infallible or reliable. And from there, they decided that Jesus Christ, while he probably did exist and start this great movement and eventually was brutally executed on a Roman cross, probably wasn't God who became a man, was not born of a virgin, did not live in perfect obedience to God, he did not make atonement for our sins and give us peace with God, and he he definitely didn't rise again to give us eternal life. My friends believed that they were naive to think that any of that could be true. And they're not alone. And today they're both outspoken about very, one very important thing, which is this. You can't really know God. You can't really know him personally. I mean, how can you say that? How could anyone possibly say that? And that's just another way of questioning whether or not anyone can really know who Jesus is. And that's what this is all about. That's really what this whole series is about. That's what's at stake here. It's fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the one thing we can't afford to lose. If you remember a few weeks ago when we started the series, we looked at one of the, the first few verses of this letter from John. And, and in First John, John 1, verse 3, this is what he says. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, So that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, we too can have a relationship, a vital life-giving relationship with the God of the universe. And that is exactly what John is inviting us into. That's exactly what God is, is inviting us into. It's senses this very personal, intimate, life-giving relationship through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. God is saying, you can know me. And, and knowing me changes everything. The whole point of 1 John is fellowship with God and with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. That's the whole point of the letter. It's about a relationship with God where we know God as He truly is, not as we want Him to be. Not as we imagine Him to be. I mean... We we always say, God, you know, what's true about God is always better than what we imagined Him to be. And that's why fellowship with Him is the best thing we have. Fellowship with God the Father through Jesus Christ is the best thing that we have. It's better than forgiveness. It's better than holiness. It's better than peace. It's better than joy. It's better than power and healing and miracles. Fellowship with the Father and His Son is the best thing that we have. And there will be people who will confront us at some point and try to deny us of that fellowship or call it into question. They'll tell, it, they'll tell you that you can't really know God. You can't really know what he's like. You can't know that Jesus came in the flesh and died as God, our king. And that's why we need to hear this word today. So if you have your Bibles out and you haven't already, please turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. We're going to pick up where Phil left off last week in verse 18. And here is what we read, beginning in verse 18. We're going to read through verse 27. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Abide in him. This is the word of God. So Antichrist. This is who they are. Antichrists are liars who claim to be with us. That's who they are. Who, who is an antichrist? What's an antichrist? The word which is only used by John. John is the only one who uses this word, and he only uses it in his first two letters, first and second John. It means either against Christ or in place of Christ. It's someone who is either opposing Christ or who puts themselves in the place of Christ. And probably in this case, we're talking about people who are in the place of Christ or or people who we might call counterfeits. Counterfeits. Counterfeit disciples. They claim to be with us. They claim to want what we want. They appear to be like us. They seem harmless or even good. But the truth is they are not harmless. They are liars. That's what we're told. And there are a couple of observations we can make right from the text. In verse 19... It says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went, they went out. They left the church. And they went out that it might, might become plain that they are not of us. In other words, true followers of Jesus stick with it. To the end, they stick with the church. They stay, they stay with God's people. They're united to God's people in, in, visibly, visibly, in fellowship, in worship in community, and they stick with it to the end. That's, that's a sign of a true disciple of Jesus. In verse 22, we read another observation. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. In other words, Antichrists are people who deny that God became a man. They deny that God became a man, and we'll talk about why that is in a little bit. And in verse 26, we read again, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So antichrists deceive. They deceive. They tell lies about God, but they don't come across as liars. They don't come across as liars. They come across as sincere, thoughtful people who simply want to grow in knowledge. Right? Right? And that's why it's dangerous. That's why they're dangerous. The fact that they are liars is not obvious. It's not obvious. Rather than directly oppose Jesus, they oftentimes will reimagine him. They'll reimagine what Jesus is like or what God is like, or they'll redefine him in some way. Or they'll, and and they'll, they'll basically confuse or call into question Jesus' true identity or what he actually accomplished as God's son. They'll say things like, Jesus is good. He died on a cross. He's our supreme example. But they will not confess that Jesus Christ died to satisfy the wrath of God. They will not confess that Jesus Christ died to cover our sins and make us right with God. They will not confess that Jesus Christ had to die, they will not confess that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and is seated in power at the right hand of God, ruling over all his creation and with all authority. They will not confess that because that would mean they would have to bow before him as Lord and Savior and King of their life. And they don't want to do that it would mean that they'd have to submit their lives in obedience to him. And here's why this is so important. Because no one who denies that Jesus Christ is the eternal God, and no one who refuses to worship and obey him can possibly know God. They don't have fellowship with God. They don't know God. They don't have any kind of relationship with God. And they couldn't have a relationship with God, or even hear from God, or experience God's life, because in order to know God, you have to first believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. You have to believe that. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to know God. There is no other way. So let me ask you this. Why is it that people deny That Jesus is God's son. Why do people deny that God became a person? I mean, that is, we call that the incarnation. That's a theological term for it, the incarnation. God became a person. (laughs) That is the most controversial, maybe, of all Christian teaching, isn't it? Why do people have such a hard time with that? And I think that, is it because they know something we don't? Is it because there is evidence to suggest that Jesus is not who he said he was? I don't think so. I think the reason that people walk away from Jesus is primarily because they don't want to come under his authority. They just don't want to give him their life when it comes down to it. Many people are willing to believe in Jesus as long as it doesn't get too personal, right? And that is the problem because when we teach that God became a specific man with a specific name, born in a specific place at a specific time and gave clear, specific commands and then died on a specific cross exposing my specific sins, you have to make a choice. You have to decide to either surrender everything to him or reject him. And if God did become a man, then everyone in the world must obey this one Jewish man. Isn't that true? We can't pretend to be God anymore. We can't be self-sufficient anymore. Because according to Jesus of Nazareth, we're all desperately wicked and spiritually sick, and our only hope is to come to him and surrender everything to be healed. To be forgiven. We can't waste any more time trying to live the good life in our, on our terms, because this one man, Jesus, who lived for 33 years in this little country in the Middle East, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life of God. We are no longer the center. Jesus Christ is the center. Jesus is the point. That's why we named our church Cross Point Church. Because of who Jesus is. Because we affirm that God became a man and died on a cross to pay for our sin and give us access to him in a life-giving relationship. That's it. So when people outgrow their faith and decide that they don't need God to be happy, it isn't because they have graduated to some deeper knowledge or discovered some secret philosophy or some compelling evidence to suggest that Jesus Christ is not God. The reason is that they want to be in control of their lives. They want to stay in control of their lives or have some semblance of control. Because to follow Jesus is essentially to say to God, God, I'm giving up my right to live my life however I want to. I'm giving it all to you. Here I am Send me wherever you want to. Be my father. Treat me as a son. That's what we're saying. So the Apostle John wants us to be careful and to watch out for people who are trying to deceive us into believing that we don't need God to be happy or that Jesus is not who we claim to be. But then, there's good news. In, in, in Antichrist are one kind of person, they're one kind of group, but you are another kind altogether. And there's almost no transition in the passage when we look at these two groups of people, Antichrist and disciples of Jesus, little Christs. That's pretty much what we are. We have antichrists and little Christs. And here's what John says about you if you're a follower of Jesus, beginning in verse 20. He says, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge, and I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. And then continuing and down in verse 26, he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing, there's that word again, the anointing that you received from him, that's from Jesus, abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie. Just as it has taught you, abide in him. So, so the question is how do we know who is from God and who isn't? How do we know what voices to listen to? How do we know the difference between a truth and a lie? Well, the answer is that you and I are anointed. We're anointed. And there seems to be, in other words, you have everything you need. You and I have everything we need to tell the difference between the truth and a lie because we're anointed. Now, there, there's, there is some confusion about the idea of being anointed by God and what that means, what that actually means. And there are a lot of different opinions out there about what it means. And I'd like to offer you some clarity, if I could, just from the text this morning of, of what, what we believe this word means. And I'd like to start off by saying that I, I don't think it means this. I don't think that being anointed means that God will speak fresh revelation to me like he did the original authors of the Bible. In other words, God can still come, he's going to come along today and he's going to reveal himself to me through some vision or some dream and reveal some fresh insight about him that is not already revealed in His Word. I don't think that's what it means at all. I also don't believe that it means that God gives me some special guidance when I face a crisis or difficult decision, or some special access to Him, or some special powers to do something extraordinary. Now, I'm not suggesting that those things don't happen. I just don't think that that's what what it means to be anointed. Okay? I don't think that that's what it means. And lastly, I don't believe that it... I don't believe that being anointed means that I can depend on my feelings and intuition or follow my heart as a substitute for submitting myself to God's revealed word. Okay, it doesn't mean that either. You know, there's so many times where we, as followers of Jesus, we need clarity. We're not sure which way to go. It's not always obvious. We've talked about that a lot. And there's, there seems to be a gap between what God has said... And where I need to go, <laughs> or what I should do, right? There seems to be a gap there, and you know what fills the gap? It's wisdom, discernment. It's not anointing, okay? And and I struggle sometimes with the way that that Christians use the word anointing. People have some people have prayed over me a lot in my life, and, and I the I. I feel like the only way I could ever be faithful to God is through other people's prayers for me. And many people have supported me over the years, through good times and bad, through you know, some really dark times, just through praying for me. And some people have said to me or prayed with me at times, they said something like, God, anoint Dave. Anoint Dave for this time and for this task. And when I hear people ask for some special anointing from God, I want to say, don't you know that I'm already anointed? You're already anointed. You already have the Holy Spirit. You have the risen Christ abiding in you. That's That's what eternal life means. It means God has made his home with us in Jesus. We already have the word of God. We have everything we need for the task. Just do it. Just do it in faith. And so far as I can tell, there's one anointing. There's one anointing in these last days, which John says we're in the last hour. We're in the last hour between the first coming and the second coming of Christ. And there's one anointing. And it's the anointing of Jesus Christ onto people, giving us his Holy Spirit to do the Father's will. That's what the anointing is. It's Jesus Christ anointing sinners with his Holy Spirit, changing them from the inside out, making them a new creation so that they can do God's will. That's what the anointing is. What are you anointed for? What is is the thing you're anointed for? It's simple. To know and understand God. We are anointed so that we might enjoy a relationship with God, so that we might experience fellowship with him and with his son Jesus. Jesus. That's what the anointing is for. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul talks about anointing. He says in verse 21, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. What is the guarantee? The guarantee is that we will have intimate, unbroken fellowship with the Father. For eternity. That's what it is. So, before the last hour, in former times, there were basically three kinds of people who were anointed kings. Remember, in uh, 2 Samuel, David was anointed, uh, maybe it was 1 Samuel, David was anointed king, and, and Samuel poured the oil over his head. And there's other kings, the same thing was done. Kings were anointed. Priests were anointed with oil and also prophets, right? And that was a special kind of anointing. We have to admit that. But now, today, in this last hour, everyone who belongs to God through faith in Christ is anointed. Every disciple is set apart. Every Christian is sent on mission. Every Christian is empowered by God. Every Christian is anointed, Regardless of how well you know the Bible, regardless of how well behaved you are, regardless of how consistent you are, regardless of how dark your past is, and regardless of your skills and gifts and abilities, you are anointed. You have all the access to God that I do. You have all the power that I do. We're the same. We serve the same Christ and the same Spirit. We have the same anointing. And here's the good news. If you're anointed, you have the Holy Spirit of Christ living in you. You have everything you need to do what God wants you to do and to know what God wants you to know. You can know the difference between the truth and a lie because you know God. And then John gives us a challenge. Because we're anointed, he goes on to say one last thing. Beginning in verse 24 of First John 2, he says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son or, and in the Father. And the last thing he says here is abide in him. So here's what I think he's saying. I think what he's saying is, your relationship with God is the best thing you have. So treat it that way. I think that's what he's saying. Because think about this, what is it that you heard from the beginning? What did you hear from the beginning? It's the gospel, right? When you started this journey towards Christ, it was because you heard that Jesus Christ died to forgive your sins and make you acceptable to God. You you didn't do anything to earn that. You didn't do anything to deserve that. It was all grace. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more or any less than he does right now. Your status with God is not based on your performance. It's based on Christ's performance. Jesus Christ hung on the cross and was judged. He was punished for your sin. God is not going to punish you for your sin. He's already done that on the body of Jesus Christ, who was 100% human. He felt all of that pain. He felt that alienation from God. He felt that wrath and that punishment. He died our death. He died once for all. It's finished. And that's the good news. There's no more negotiating with God. There's no paying God back for everything he's done for us. It's finished. That's the gospel. We know that. We, We live now not in order to be accepted by God, but because we're already accepted. We've been adopted into his family He's our father now. We are his children. And he's always going to treat us that way. That's the good news. I mean, that's why we started this journey. That's what we need to abide in. And it's not some passive thing. This is not a passive... Abiding is not passive, okay? It's, It's something like persistence. It means a daily practice of listening to and learning from and trusting and obeying our Lord Jesus Christ. What it means, I think, is just spending lots and lots of time with Jesus. I mean, when I I think about what it means to abide, I think of my own children. And I am technically the father of my children. In other words... They came from me physically, you know. But I also, according to the state of Wisconsin, I'm their father. I'm legally their father. My name is on their birth certificate. They carry my last name, Bloom. All five of my kids do. So I am legally, I enjoy the status of being their father. But I want to tell you something. That the legal status of being a dad is really not that important to me. I never think about it. You know, I don't really think about it. I just, it just kind of goes with the territory. I know I'm their dad. What I care about is being a dad. What I care about is my kids being my kids. In other words, I care about the relationship. Okay? There are plenty of dads in the world who, are, who have legal status of their kids and who are not acting like fathers. And there are plenty of kids in the world who are legally belong to their dads. But they're not acting like kids. They're not acting like children of their fathers. You know why? Because there's no relationship. Okay? I want my kids, in other words, this is what I mean. I want my kids to depend on me. When my kids have a bad dream, I want them to come into my room, and I, I, <clears throat> I don't mean to be selfish, but I want them to come to my side of the bed, And get in bed with me, because I'm their dad. I want them to feel safe with me. When my kids have to throw up in the middle of the night. This is hitting home for you now, isn't it? I want them to come into my room first. I, I kind of do. And then they get I get out of bed and I know what's coming and I walk them into the bathroom and or we stop before then and then I go get the vacuum cleaner. But I you know what? I actually cherish that. Because I'm their dad. It's scary as a kid to throw up, okay? You you, you wonder if you're going to (laughs) die, you know? I want them to come to me. I want them to ask me to read them stories. I want them to come to me to snuggle and to play with them and to teach them things, I want them to come to me when they have questions or when they're hurting or confused or angry. I want to give them access to me. I want them to want to be with me. I want to go as deep as we can in the relationship. You know why? Because right now my kids love being with me, but someday they won't. And I already know that. It's coming. The day is coming. My kids won't cherish that anymore. One day they'll move out of my house and they'll become independent and they'll be exposed to all kinds of voices and they might not know who to listen to. And that's why right now is so important to me to be their dad. I want them to abide in me, okay? I want the relationship. The relationship is everything. Because when my kids are on their own someday and I can't control anymore at all who they listen to or what voices they hear, What I want them to know beyond the shadow of a doubt is that I'm their dad and they're my child. And I love them unconditionally and nothing will ever change that. And that they can trust me no matter what. And that my voice is gold. Okay? That's what I want them to think, even though I'll be wrong from time to time. But that's what I want as a father. And I think when it comes to God... We talk about having a relationship with God. What does that mean? You know, there's people you have relationships with, intimate relationships with, like your spouse or your children. But there's other people you have relationships with where you want to go deeper. Have you ever known someone where you wanted to go deeper in the relationship, but they weren't comfortable with that, and it got kind of awkward? And you took a step, you took a risk You tried taking the relationship to the next level and they responded in some way like, you know what, I'm not ready for this, I need space. And that hurt, didn't it? And you know what, that is often how we relate to God except God is the one who wants to go deeper. And we're the ones who are saying, hold on God, I don't know if I'm ready, I need some space. But you know what God tells us? You know what Jesus tells us in the book of Revelation? He says, I'm standing at the door, and I'm knocking. I'm knocking. I want to take the relationship deeper. I want you to know me as I really am. I want you to experience my life, my joy, my peace, my power, all of it. Because fellowship with me, relationship with God through Jesus Christ, is the best thing that we have. Are you ready to open the door? Abide in him. Abide in him. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, which is truth to us. It is life to us. We thank you for the clarity that you give us in your word, and we ask that you would help us to understand you and grow in our knowledge of you and our relationship with you. We thank you, God, that you want to be known and that you've made yourself known to us. You've done everything necessary for us to know you as you truly are through your son Jesus and to experience this life-giving relationship. And we pray, Lord, that you would protect us from those people who would try to rob us of that or try to confuse your intentions towards us. And we pray that you'd give us faith today to take the next step with you to accept your invitation and to embrace you for who you are and to give you our all. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.